Hello, welcome to Healing Out Loud with me, your host, Jackie Shea. This is a place to relate to the darkest days and be inspired by ultimate triumph. Each week, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and or wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on, highly informed about something new, and connected to a tribe of amazing humans. Because the only way out is through, but it helps to have a tribe walking with you. Hi beauties, welcome back, or if you're just joining us, welcome, so happy to have you. Did you know that it's currently 150? five degrees in LA. I moved here six years ago in the middle of a heat wave just like this, so I am staying inside and staying super cool. This week's episode is also super cool and wickedly funny and touching all at once. I had the amazing privilege of interviewing Amy Marks, writer and performer of her one-woman show called Nice Tits about her journey with breast cancer. We get down to the nitty-gritty in this episode, talking about Amy's double mastectomy, her grieving process, her good party for her boobs and what dating and sex look like today. The weekly challenge is quite simply, to quote Carrie Fisher, to take your broken heart and make it into art. Follow my updates at Jackie on Instagram. And if you dig this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Share with your friends. Join the Healing Out Loud Facebook community. And follow JackieShay.com for more. I'd also like to take a moment to mention Aware Causes. They make beautiful necklaces for every kind of cause and or disease. For breast cancer, the color is pink. If you purchase one, at awarecauses.com, then part of the proceeds will be donated to research or other organizations that support that specific cause. I have one in green for Lyme disease. I love it. It's beautiful. You can check out my story on their Instagram page at awarecauses. And um, I highly suggest you do this if if you like jewelry and uh, with a mission. All right, guys, let's jump into this week's episode. Hi, everyone. I'm so, so excited to introduce my guest today. Amy Marks has been there, done that. She's an actress, playwright, voiceover artist, professor, and ordained interfaith minister, spiritual counselor. And she's also the writer and star of her critically acclaimed one-woman show, Nice Tits, during which she shares life as a breast cancer survivor a patient and survivor she has partnered with avon 39 the walk to end breast cancer hadassah of boston mm-hmm. uh and been on serious doctor radio fresh 102.7 to share her story and insights on being a breast cancer patient and survivor amy hello <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And you just relocated to Los Angeles from New York after um, a three-alarm fire destroyed your apartment in Chelsea on Christmas Day, 2017. Can't make this up. Oh, my goodness. We are so happy (laughs) and lucky to have you here. And I've wanted you on the podcast for a while. I'm so happy to be here. Um, Yeah, LA is awesome, right? Sorry, New York. No, I love it here. I love it here. I know. I know. The quality of life, you guys, I'm telling you, is amazing. It's Um, completely different from New York. I still have to work on, like, chilling out a little bit and relaxing a little bit, but I love it here. Mm. Speaking of chilling out and relaxing, mm, was your life pretty chaotic before you got a breast cancer diagnosis? Were you a go, 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 goer? I was a go, 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 goer. 
But I was also a go-go-goer who meditated and did yoga. So I really had that balance and I had been a vegetarian. I mean, I was a really health, I was really healthy. I was Mm. thin, I was healthy, I worked out. So I was really shocked that I got cancer. Mm. And in 2009, you got your diagnosis. Actually, it was 2009, I got my breast cancer diagnosis. 2008, I was diagnosed with DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in situ. So some doctors think it's pre-cancer, some doctors think it's cancer. And then a year later, nine months later, I had cancer in my other breast. Wow. Okay. So you were shocked, shocked. totally shocked. Um, but your your parents both had cancer, right? Or my mother, my mother died of breast cancer when I was sixteen. She was fifty, and my father is still alive, but he has had prostate cancer. He's had melanoma. He had kidney cancer. So there's lots of cancer around my family. But I got tested nine years ago. Uh, for the BRCA gene, I didn't have it, but I think it's time to get retested because there are many more different genes now than there were nine years ago. I was going to ask about that. So, yeah. you, so it came back negative. It came back negative. Did you think you must have thought you were in the clear with that, or does that not really? Well, I already. I mean, I never wanted to get that test. People were like get the test. See, I was like, no, I just want to like you know wait it out and see what happens. Uh, my doctors were shocked that I didn't have the gene because I was like in my 40s and like I said, a really healthy lifestyle. So they were really surprised. But I could have the gene because there are so many more now. Right, right. So what sent you to the doctor? Routine mammogram. Oh. So I went for a routine mammogram and uh, thank God, I still say the, the radiologist saved my life because I went to a routine mammogram and you sit in the waiting room for them to um, call you in and say everything's okay. And when they call you and say the doctor wants to talk to you, that's never like a good thing. So the radiologist found something called calcifications on my uh, left breast. And he said, 96% of the time, it's nothing. But because you have a family history, I want you to go get checked. He said, but it's probably nothing, but get checked. So I found a breast surgeon and I had to get um, an MRI biopsy and a stereotactic core biopsy, which was the most painful thing I ever had in my life. It turned out it was DCIS. And wow. Then, and then nine months later, it was cancer in my other breast. Okay. So what was what were some of the processing? What was some of the processing of those emotions like for you? Well, I think shock was a biggie because I really never, you know, it's funny, like a lot of people, if their parent has cancer, especially if their mother has breast cancer when they're young, they think it's going to happen to them. I never, ever thought it was going to happen to me, ever. So I was completely shocked. And then I kind of went into, um, let's just get this done, there's things to do kind of mode. Mm-hmm. Like my, I have to say, I'm a crier, like I'll cry at a Hallmark commercial. But when I found out I had cancer, it was like, okay, got to do this, 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 this. I didn't really cry till I was done. Yeah. Because there was so much to get done. Mm-hmm. And you felt safe when it was over enough to kind of have the emotions. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was pretty similar when I initially got diagnosed with Lyme, which is obviously different. But when I initially got diagnosed, it was just like, yeah, let's just do it. Let's just give me the antibiotics and let's just do it. Get it done. Um, So when, you know, so tell us a little bit about your process of, uh, you know, deciding what you were going to do, how you were going to treat. So what happened was, when I had DCIS, it was, it was, I had two lumpectomies. And they said to me, you should be on tamoxifen. And I said, no, 
I was one of the people who turned it down. What is tamoxifen? Tamoxifen is uh, when you're uh, estrogen receptive positive. It's something that can, um, I'm not a doctor, so I, I, I it's a drug. It's right. It's like a chemo kind of drug. Is it a, hor- okay, it's not yeah. a hormone. It is no, a hormone no, drug. No, it's a chemo oh, It's a drug. chemo drug. So, I mean, you have to really look it up. But I knew that I wasn't going to take it because I am very natural and I don't take anything. And my doctor was really okay that I didn't take it. But then when I got diagnosed nine months later with cancer, I made the choice right then and there that I was going to get a double mastectomy. Because it was just, it was too much. It was like I had surgery, I was going to have too many surgeries. And it was stage one. I was very lucky. It was caught early. So you would suggest everybody go get their routine mammograms. Absolutely. And I would also suggest, again, I have to be careful with what I suggest because I'm not a doctor. But I think that um, if you have a family history or if you have dense breasts, I think you should get an MRI because my cancer did not show up on my mammogram. The only... No way. No, I have a letter. I saved it. It said, congratulations, see you in a year. You're all good. But because nine months before I had DCIS, they had to really, really screen me. So then I got a sonogram. A little something showed up on the sonogram. They were like, it's probably nothing. Let's get an MRI. And it was on the MRI. My cancer showed up. So if I didn't have the MRI, would have been a year later, I would probably be stage four. I didn't know that they did anything other than a mammogram. Oh my God, yes. If you have dense breasts, you should definitely be getting a sonogram. And I'm a believer in an MRI. Right. How do you know if you have dense breasts? I'm like, I'm touching, I'm doc- touching. I'm I know, just going like, to touch my breasts. It's podcast. We're checking out. We'll be feeling ourselves up. It should be... <laughs> I think I dense That's breasts. hysterical. <laughs> your doctor could tell you. Oh, your, okay. Your, yeah, if your breasts are dense. Okay. Harder to read. Hard, right. Harder to sure. read. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I thought mammogram was like the tip top of, of testing. No, mine that's... came back clear. Mine wow, back and thank clear. God they did the MRI. Thank God. In a way, thank God I had DCIS nine months before. Right. Because that sort of saved me too. So did they give you some options? Did they say, so here are your options. You can do chemo, you can do radiation, you can do hormone therapy, you could do, do the double mastectomy. Well, actually, when I got diagnosed, I like right away said, I want a double mastectomy. I didn't even ask for an option. It was just, I just knew, you know, my mother died early. I was just like, I can't. I was like, you got to, you got to get rid of them. Now, it really doesn't lessen your chances of your cancer coming back, getting a double mastectomy. Hmm. And metastasizing. Yeah. You can still, you can still get breast cancer having had a double mastectomy. Oh. Fun stuff. (laughs) Fun stuff. But... I really made the right choice because when they went in, now I'm feeling my breasts again. When um, they went in there, my doctor was like, you had so much hyperplasia. So I would have been having like lumpectomies over and over and over again. So for me, I made the right choice. And I think it's a very personal, personal thing. I would never, ever tell anyone what to do because everybody's different. Of course. You can only do what's right for you. So, And you, you had an intuitive knowing, which 100%. I think is the most important 100%. thing. I've made very scary decisions in my life in a, in a moment because it was 
I know. I just know. That's what I did. So tell me what what happened when you decided I'm going to get the double mastectomy. You still did you still were you still just streamlining, being efficient? I, I we just Funny, need to get I was this with done. my I was with my best I was with Alana. Oh, I was okay. with my best girlfriend, and she came with me. And the doctor gave the diagnosis. She'll never let me live this down. The doctor gave the diagnosis that I had cancer, and Alana just like started crying. And I looked at her. I go, knock it off. No tears. We have stuff we have to get done. I, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, you were. I couldn't. So the doctor gave me like three names because uh, they work in tandem. So the breast surgeon works with a plastic surgeon. So she gave me the names of three doctors that she works really well with. So my first doctor was Dr. Nolan Karp, also part of NYU. And as soon as I met him, I knew he was my doctor. Hmm. I knew, yeah. I knew, I knew that he was the, as I say in my show, he, I knew he was the right man for the job. Right, hmm. right. And you knew that he, that you were going to do the double mastectomy with him. I did. Yeah. And it's funny sitting here now, it's kind of like, what? Because I want like, listen, I loved my boobs. I had great, not that it matters if you have good boobs or bad boobs, whatever, but <laughs> I had a really good relationship with, I loved my breasts. Not everybody loves them. I mean, I loved my breasts. I was like, yeah, I was sort of known as like the petite Jewish girl with the nice tits. Like I had a real, I was, you know. No, I, I, I love had, it. I had good boobs. So my mission was that I wanted to find a doctor to make me feel whole again. Mm. That makes me cry. I wanted to, for me, I wanted to get back what I was going to lose. Right. But in a healthy fashion. Right. So, so was there grieving? Was there grieving in the process of, of, of losing yes. your breasts? Yes. And you know, some days they're still grieving. Yeah. I can understand that. I love my boob. Like people will, you're drink, I love them. You're drinking out of my boob mug. And, and that and that boob mug was a gift love because that. everyone knows like I love your boobs and boob obsessed. It's I touch mug. them in public a lot without thinking about it because I'm like, I just think they feel so great. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I always am like, God, dudes are so unlucky because they don't have boobs. boobs Boobs are amazing. Boobs are amazing. <laughs> Boobs are amazing. So yes. So then you lose, and it's like, I mean, you're like a little kid, and you watch with fascination as your boobs grow. Am I going to be big? Am I going to be small? What are they going to look like? And then to, for a while, I I thought of myself as like a silent amputee. Mm. It was like I lost a part of myself that, unless you knew me intimately or a very close friend of mine, you wouldn't know. Right. But yeah, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. And I've had women on here who have gone through the same thing or um, one of my dear friends who was also on here had to had to lose her ovaries at, you know, at thir- at 30 and that tough, tough. and it's t- it's tough. And I think about I think about women going through that all the time because because it's it's such an identity it's an identity to our sex and gender 100%. you know and and our um i don't know significance on the pl- planet Absolutely. in so many ways and the way society looks at us so it, i i'm so excited and grateful that you are so open about your experience with this and that you talk about the whole process I because i don't 
I haven't been able to speak to that many people who are this as open as you are. So will you go into some detail around the 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 process of sure. what it's like to have a double mastectomy? Sure. So you go in that, it, 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 like so much you don't remember because you're like, you know, completely under. I remember going into, um, it's funny, like nine years later, you sort of still cry. But I remember walking into the operating room and looking down at my breasts and sort of saying goodbye, like knowing, like, you know, they're going to put you under. And you just know that when you wake up, they're not going to be there, you know? So one thing I did, being who I am, is I made my boyfriend take, like, pictures of my boobs. I was like, you are photographing these. So I did, like, a photo shoot for my boobs. I did a lot of, like, things. I did a going-away party for my boobs with my best girlfriends. I made them all show up, like, you know, all 40-plus women, you know, 40 years old plus, wearing, I said, wear your lowest cut tops possible, (laughs) decorate your boobs, and we're having a going-away boob party. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. I fucking love that. that? I love that. I was like, bring them out, show them out. We're having a party and we're saying, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I did that. And then when I went to, uh, I said goodbye to them. I took the pictures. And my plastic surgeon was really good because he knew my breasts were really important to me. So I had to get something called tissue expanders. There's many different ways to do it. Like sometimes they can make your breasts out of your back or your belly. But I didn't have enough fat. So I had to get something called tissue expanders. So when I, well, he said to me, when you wake up, I promise you, you won't be flat. I'll give you like a little, little baby booby. So you won't wake up and look down and see nothing. He said, I don't usually do that. He said, but I know how important your breasts are to me. So to be honest, I woke up and I was so friggin' stoned from the morphine. I was like, cause I'm a lightweight. I was like a mess. It's quite a painful surgery. Oh, I oh. mean, oh. It's it's horrible. So I like I just kept pushing that button for more morphine. We found out later that I had an allergy, and I got so sick, and I, oh threw, I, threw, I threw up for twelve hours. <gasps> I remember saying to the nurse, "I go, I don't feel well." She goes, "Well, you have nothing to throw up because you didn't eat for." I said, "No, I don't feel well." I threw up for twelve hours, and here's the thing that most people don't know: when your chest gets cut off, it's all muscle. You can't lift your head. You can't lift your <gasps> arms. You can't do anything. So God love my boyfriend at the time, Roy. He literally had to lift me up just so I could puke. <gasps> All your muscles are cut. Oh, God. See, yeah, it is that. all muscle. All, all your muscles Of course, no, as you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, that is all, all muscle. muscle. All muscle. So that takes a really long time to get that back. You lose nerve endings, you lose feeling. I mean, there's so, it's like, there's so much. So I had little expanders, tissue expanders. And then a month after my surgery, every week I would go and they take, nobody can see, but how long, a huge, huge needle. You see my hands. It's like a, it's like a foot it's long. It's a huge needle. And they put, it, they put it into, uh, you have a port and they fill your port up. Mm-hmm. So... So every, uh, every week you have a different size boob. So I use comedy for everything. It's my only way to survive. So I'm like, oh my God, it's the first time in your life you get to see what you look like with like six different boob sizes. Right. So you have to wear like really big clothes because it's like one week your boobs are one size. And then it could be like, what's going on with Amy? Her boobs keep changing sizes. <laughs> so then, because they, they do it because they have to stretch your skin. 
Right, which sounds very painful. Hard. It's I, really painful. It's all really painful. It's really painful. So I say it's like, um, and I didn't take anything. I just sort of sat with the pain. It's I always say it's like wearing, wearing a tube top that's too tight that you can't take it off because you're deeply constricted. You're just tight, tight. And you have to sleep on your back and you have to have your arms raised. And for months. Months. Yeah. Months. I had tissue expanders for three three months. And then they do the transfer. Sorry. So what are tissue expanders exactly? They're... Like, so they're, it's it's like the port goes in your boob, right? There's a right port. Up, there's a okay. port. And they fill the port up with saline solution. Okay. Because what happens is it's just to stretch your skin because they have to... It sounds awful, right? They have to make room to put the implant in. Okay. So they're just... In, Stretching in, your skin. With the saline solution. Right. And then your boobs each week get bigger and bigger until they decide, you decide on the size you want your boobs to be. Like some people get this done and they decided they were too big, they want to go smaller. Some people are too small and they want to go bigger. So you and your surgeon go, okay, we think we're at the place that's right. Mm -hmm. And then they do the transfer and they get rid of the expanders and then they give you the implants. And then months after that, you get nipples because I did not have nipple sparring. Now it's it's now more people are getting nipple sparring surgery. What is nipple where, sparring? Where they save your nipple. Oh. Which I wish I could have had that. I really, I really, that's my, that's the one thing that still always upsets me is not having my nipple. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So you, so how long from the time you had the double mastectomy to, to getting the implants? I had the double mastectomy October 13th. I got the implants in uh, end of January, beginning of February. I don't remember the date for that. I got my nipples on my birthday on June 18th. And then months later, I got the areolas tattoos. So the whole thing took a year and a half. About a year. Took a year. Uh, it took about a year. Took a year. And oh, I went oh, I'm to, seeing. Yeah, it took I a year. See. So I went to uh, a craniosacral therapist who said something amazing to me that I loved. She said, it takes 10 months to have a baby. Think of it as giving birth to new breasts. Mm. So that's how I try to think of the whole process, as giving birth to my new breasts. Right. So during this time, are you still not really crying? Or are you not really having feelings? Oh, no, I had feelings. Okay. Like, like I had the night before surgery. So, so this is actually in my show that we'll talk about later. But the night before surgery, like I was in, I guess I'd like to maintain control. I don't want to say I'm control free, but I like being knowing I'm in control. So I went to the doctor. I picked the doctor. Like everything was, I, I just had everything lined up, right? So the night before surgery, before all, I'm very superstitious. So before all my surgeries, I always eat the same exact thing. It's a turkey sandwich on lightly toasted rye with a sliced tomato and shredded lettuce and a <laughs> tiny bit of mayo. Always <laughs> for every <laughs> surgery, that is my meal because I'm afraid of anesthesia. So I'm convinced if I eat that. I won't die. Yeah. That's it. Uh-huh. So the night before surgery, <laughs> mm-hmm, you know where this is going, I ordered my sandwich from the same exact place that I always order my sandwich from, and I opened it up, and I, have to, I had to finish eating by a certain amount of time because I get nauseous and sick from anesthesia. I had to be finished eating by 8 o'clock. So the sandwich got there at 7.30. I had a half hour to eat, and I opened it up, and it was like some chicken. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> I... 
I don't know if you can curse on your podcast. You can, I you lost can. my fucking mind. You can. <laughs> I lost my, I mean, I, I think that's eventually why my boyfriend and I broke up. I think he couldn't get the image years later out of me in the turkey sandwich. Oh my God. I was, I lost it. I lost it. He ran out and got me the sandwich, but I, because I was like, I'm screaming, so screaming, afraid. so afraid. I was like, I'm going to die. Like not getting the right sandwich was my sign that I was going to die. Then he got the sandwich and I ate the sandwich and then the next day I was okay. <laughs> sandwich. Thank my God downfall, for him. My downfall was a turkey sandwich. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's never it. about the sandwich. It's never, never about, about the sandwich. <laughs> that, should be, that should be a quote somewhere. <laughs> it's never about the sandwich. It's about the fact that you're getting a double It's about the fact that I'm getting it. Yeah, exactly. That's right. It's never about the turkey sandwich. Never. <laughs> oh, wow. I know. So, so I really lost it that. I deeply lost it the day I saw my new boobs. I lost my mind because I hated them. You did. They were so weird. First this of all. This is pre-nipple. <laughs> Pre-nipple. This is pre-nip. Yeah. Pre- <laughs> Instead of pre-nip, it's pre-nip. Yes, this is pre-nip. Because you get rid of the expanders and you have to stay. Oh, my God, there's just so much. Like when you have the expanders, you can't raise your arms. You can only wear button-down shirts. My sister, God love her. I lived with her. She shaved me. There's so much. It's hard to brush your teeth. Like oh, you right. can't even. Yeah, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. So I got my implants and they were going to be the real my boobs they were going to be it and I remember the day that I was allowed to take off the um uh, what's it called the bandage that's the word the bandage bandage. that fancy (laughs) word bandage I was able to take off the bandage and my sister said do you want me to be in the room when you do and I and I, I said no I kind of want this to be a private moment between me and my breasts I screamed so loud. My sister came running up. I'm like, I hate them. They're awful. They're bizarre. They're strange. Because you're looking at boobs without areolas and nipples, and they're weird. Sure. I they're mean, weird. <laughs> my, my, my surgeon would say it's like, you know, it's like a cupcake without frosting or sprinkles. It's right. Just a, yeah. yeah. It's a bald boob. It's a bald boob. Right. It's a bald boob. And not even really a boob. And, and yeah, they're weird. So that was very hard. Well, yeah. Wait, really so hard. did it get better as you, as you got the nipples and the areolas, which come, they tattoo the areolas on. Yeah, the areolas are tattooed. The nipples are made out of your own skin. But wow. some people are getting, some people are going to this guy that I'm going to go to actually uh, called Minnie Myers in Baltimore. And, they're go, and, and many more tattoo artists are doing it. They're getting their nipples. They're getting 3D nipples. There's something called 3D nipples. So it's, they don't have to go through the surgery I went through with your own skin, feeling myself up again. Yeah. But they, you're like, yeah, go yeah, ahead, yeah, do, yeah, it, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's a tattoo that gives the appearance of a nipple. Was the nipple surgery very painful? Also? Oh, you're awake. Oh, it's my hysterical. <laughs> it's freaking hilarious. <laughs> the nipple surgery is hilarious. You're awake. So like, and there's two doctors. Like there was, uh, my doctor had someone working with me. I was like, oh my God, like it's a Jewish woman's dream. I have two doctors working on me at the same exact time. One on the right and one on the left. Yeah, so that, you're awake. Did it, what did it No, hurt? you didn't feel a thing. Oh. No, I didn't feel a thing. Okay. Mm-mm. No, that was easy. I went out for lunch after. <laughs> 
just got my new nipples. Hey, what are you doing? I just got my nipples. I'm now having a birthday lunch. <laughs> oh, right. It was your birthday. <laughs> it was my birthday. It was my birthday present. Nipples. Oh. But I don't like them because they're tiny, tiny, tiny. I'm either going to go back and get new nipples or I'm going to get the uh, 3D nipples. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is a, what a process. I just, it's such a, and the emotional component just um, is unfathomable to people who haven't been through it, of course. And so do you, so you get through this, this time period in your life. And I want to talk about some of the things you used to get through it. So we're going to take a break for the weekly challenge now. Welcome to our weekly challenge segment where we arm you with new tools each week to kick some self-care butt. As you explore all of these new options presented weekly, my hope is that you will come to collect a number of quick ways to take care of yourself inside and out. You will essentially have your very own and very handy self-care toolkit. Some of the challenges may not work for you and some will seem perfectly tailored to you. We are building up your defenses, inspiring your mind, body, and spirit toward total wellness. Keep in mind that the goal is always progress, not perfection. The only rule is that you are never allowed to beat yourself up. Keep me posted on your progress. Stay accountable. It helps. Okay, let's hit this week's challenge. Okay, Amy, tell us about something you did to get through and why you're challenging and what you're challenging my listeners with. Okay. So since I'm an actress, I believe in the transformative power of art to heal. I believe art is healing. And my favorite quote by Carrie Fisher is, take your broken heart and make it into art. I love that quote. So for me, it was writing. So I ended up writing a play. But it could be anything. It could be making a photo collage. It could be taking photographs. It could be sculpting. It could be painting. It could be drawing. It could be writing. But some, I really believe that art is healing. I know it. I don't believe it. I know it, that it's healing. So I challenge you to find a creative, artistic expression. Because it's just too much to carry and you have to let it out. And I think letting it out through art is a really great way to do it. Tell me, and I totally agree, I shared with you and most people know about my Photo 365 challenge where I picked up a camera and took a picture every day to give myself something from bed. I took a hundred self-portraits because I was alone. (laughs) Because I was alone in bed. Um, Or like pictures of, you know, my essential oil diffuser. No, but that's incredible. Whatever it is. So tell us about how you started writing. You started writing down your feelings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me a little bit about that process for you. So I just have the kind of personality that find the humor in everything. It's just me. And I think that a lot of people who have experienced pain in their life actually are very funny. Mm -hmm. If you really look at it, a lot of very funny people look at their lives have had a lot of pain. So for me, humor was always a way. So I would always like, I would go through these experiences and I was like, would always find something really funny. I was like, I got to jot that down, jot that down. So during the whole process, I just started like jotting down my thoughts and everything that happened. And then about six months to a year after that I met with a writing coach because I thought I was going to put it into a book but then since I'm a performer it's like wait a minute let's make it into a show so I turned it into a one-woman show took years 
It took years, but you but you started while you were in process. One hundred percent. You just started jotting things down. Jotting things down. And it's like I knew because you're you're on like I was on Vicodin and I always say I knew when I was like getting better depending on what T V shows I was watching. Mm. Yeah. That's how I knew I was like getting better. How come? Because it went from as brainless as could be Uh, to a little more intellect, a little more (laughs) You know, when I was sick, uh, all I could watch were cartoons. Oh, see? Yeah. Do you, see, do, do you get my point? Yeah. Yes. And when you got better, it, it I watched well. Friends. You watched that. Friends. <laughs> see? Do you see? The, that's the healing the process of the progression of the TV shows. Yeah. That's totally. how it, yeah, that's how it was for me. Um, actually, I could only watch cartoons because everything else triggered me. Because I felt I couldn't tolerate that life was being lived outside and I could sitcoms were actually the worst for me because people were like happy and living life right so I had to watch like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves on repeat so that makes total sense to me (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. that makes total sense totally so I love this and journaling is and was is such a big part of my life I really believe in the power of Journaling, putting so pen I'm, to paper, writing things down. Humor is also has come up on this podcast multiple times, is a huge part of healing. Huge. That a lot of people struggle getting to. I was one of those people. Um, I stopped laughing for like a year and a half, actually. And laughter is healing. It really is. It's really healing. So when I was a kid and I first heard laughter is the best medicine, mm-hmm. you know, I thought it was literal which as it turns out oh, it quite is. is but at the time if I got sick I'd like force myself to laugh and I'd be like this is the best medicine <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is when I was healing and I was in Bali this woman came up to me and said you're sick she was kind of intuitive and she was like I'll tell you what you need to heal and she said three things and one was gratitude one was vibrating above the illness and the other was laughter she said you need to laugh I love that and I just hadn't in so long. Um, so I'm, I love that you found humor in it. And there's always humor to be found, quite always, frankly. Always, always, always humor to be found. But you have to be the kind of personality to mm-hmm. see it. And it's if it's there. not your personality, then you don't, then you fucking paint dark paintings and like. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, That's exactly right. And write dark poetry. because we all have our way and no way is right and no way is wrong it's just the way that's going to get you to where you need to be exactly to feel better so I love this challenge and I'm so glad that people can do it and I'm so I think um, a lot of people are probably pretty grateful that you ended up writing your show Mm. right I haven't gotten to see it but I, I hear that it's just amazing oh thank you so tell me a little bit about um, that process for you, writing it and then and then putting it, uh, performing it. Yeah. Were you afraid? Were you? I was really scared. Well, first of all, the first time doing it, I remember thinking because I've been an actress for years. So you're always like, oh God, what if they don't like me as an actress? But what if they don't like you as a writer and an actress? And it's just you up there. So it is like putting your ass on the line. But here's what got me through: I survived cancer. I can get up and do my show. Mm. It like became my mantra. It's like, oh my God, I survived cancer. I went through all this. This is okay. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's my mantra. That's my mantra for everything. I love that. Yeah. You survived that. So if I go into a situation and I feel uncomfortable or this or that, I'm like, wait, get back to the truth. 
all this other stuff. Will you give us a little piece of your show? Oh, that's hysterical. It's like being an actor and saying, could you stand up and do the I monologue? know, but I'm an actor too, so I'm know. allowed to you ask you that. are allowed to ask me that. <laughs> like, like, like a piece? Like, what do you mean? Like, do a piece? I can't. You told me to do a piece. I can tell you a piece. I can tell yeah, you parts yeah. in it. So it's, it's, yeah. that's so funny. Tell me your, tell me some of your, some of the gems you think are in it. Oh, there's a lot of gems. I'm sure. So there's the turkey sandwich. Right. Which people, that's some people's favorite part because it's really relatable Mm because everybody has their turkey sandwich so I'll tell you something so I talk about um there's a lot of improv with the audience depending on who the audience is the show is always different every time so sometimes like if people call something out I respond so one of the things is I talk about uh the first boy that ever felt me up and told me I had nice tits was Larry Stomba I go it was my sixth grade birthday party and then there I've sometimes heard a woman in the audience going oh sixth grade and I will get out I go I know right. so, so I just like respond to them um, so that's pretty funny because I talk about in, being felt up in the laundry room for the first time because, yes <laughs> do you remember your first time you were, who it was oh and where you were oh my god of course who was yeah, it? getting felt up. Yeah. Um, my la- how old were you and where were you? How old was I and where was I? Yeah, I was felt up first by John Legrassi. Hi, John. Hi, John. <laughs> He's definitely not listening to this podcast. He's That's not hilarious. interested in healing That's out hilarious. loud. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> John Legrassi felt me up. John Legrassi was my first pretty much everything except my kiss. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't love. I don't remember where I was actually. So I was in the laundry room. I know, really which weird. I love. No, it's so weird because we were playing. <laughs> it's really like bizarre, and and it's in the show. I talk about like because it's sixth grade. It's a little early, so you're just like sort of going in seven minutes in heaven. And I remember letting him fill me up and thinking, oh my god, is everyone going to talk about me in school tomorrow and call me a slut? You had boobs. No, but he felt up. Uh, no, but he felt up. Uh, they boys don't care. They're just sure, sure. They're just like I'm touching a nipple. <laughs> they're like my hands going up. Sure, I'm touching a nipple, and it's not mine. So that's so it's it's all good. So it's all good. Did you have big boobs in your life? You did. I did. You did. I have did. Big boobs. But not till I was eighteen. Okay. I okay. did have big boobs. Okay. So did you? Was one of your identities um, sexual? Always. Okay. So this is a really hot topic, and this is a very poignant topic for me. So my, I led with my sexuality. So did I. Walked into a room. I felt worthy Just because of... Chills. Yeah. To, I mean, it was that powerful for me. I yeah. led with my sexuality. It's how I got my self-worth. It's how I got boyfriends. It's how I got friends. It's how I, it's, it's how I felt good about myself. Right. That was my identity and my... Um, self-esteem mm-hmm. so when I got sick I did not lose my breasts obviously but I but I lost uh my my beauty what fa- I I mean the hair went out the and she's I don't know everyone knows what you look like right she's like stunning just oh. in case you don't know what she looks like that's so sweet well, it's true you're stunning oh, look at this oh, sweet. Like- <laughs> stunning. two stunning chicks talking about boobs <laughs> there you go that's it oh, oh that? I don't know it's okay. Oh, it's probably one of those pieces. Um, so, uh, you know, I lost all this weight. I mean, everything. Like, I, I had prided myself on my muscle tone and my the light in my eyes, the color in my cheeks, yeah. my hair. Oh, I loved my hair. I loved all sorts of things. And suddenly I was felt like this lifeless blob. Right. This bony, lifeless blob. And um, 
I was at a loss. I didn't know who I was. Like I just, I couldn't, I had no confidence. And it really uh, struck me that I had to do some digging, some self-love, find worth in just being human. And I was terrified of um, losing that. It felt, I just felt like I really didn't know my place anymore. And you were in your 20s. Yeah. Yeah, it's even worse. So I, so I. I did grow from that and I don't feel like I get my self-worth from my sexuality anymore. Although it did come quickly, you know, it's amazing how quickly the things you learn kind of go. Oh, Oh, yes, they do. So tell me with, with losing your breasts, getting new breasts, how did it affect your, your identity, your sexuality, your, your confidence? Yeah, that was a tough one because I, like you, always live with my sexuality and, that was my best body part. Mm. I never had like a great butt, but I had great boobs. Mm. So that's why I was like a maniac on having my plastic surgeon give me great boobs. And I have to be honest, he gave me great boobs like nobody ever knows. The issue arises when I get naked because my nipples are super, super tiny and my areolas, my tattoos of fate. It's just different. And you have like some scars. And I was no longer with my boyfriend anymore. So the hard part for me came when I was going to have to start dating again. Well, before you start da- started dating though with your boyfriend, were you afraid that he was going to leave? Were yeah. you afraid that, you know, he you weren't going to be as desirable anymore? Yeah, I made a big mistake one time, he's not going to listen to this either. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I can just say, I made a really big mistake one time. We're in bed and me and my new boobs. And I said, which do you like better? This is such a stupid thing. But we do stupid things. Mm. Do you like my old boobs better or my new boobs? I just, I just needed him to tell me I was beautiful. Right. Right? That's probably, but, but I didn't know how to say it. And I, he's like, Amy, I can't answer that. I can't answer that. I was like, and I pushed him. You know when you push? I sure I do. Like, I was like, no, you got to answer it. Tell me, which boob do you like better? He's like, of course, your old ones. I was like, okay. So it crushed me. But really what I needed him to say is you're beautiful. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're beautiful. And what I have learned is that it's really not about a man telling me I'm beautiful. It's about me telling me I'm beautiful. And the more comfortable I am, the more comfortable they are. So this is also in my show. But after Roy and I broke up and finally I was like, okay, I have got to get back out there. I went on Tinder, mm-hmm. <laughs> met a guy. Because I was like, I got I to gotta, I gotta just do this. You have to kind of take the leap, jump. I got to just jump. I got to jump. I got to jump. Terrified. Had more wine than I ever drink. Got wasted. Totally. Hello, I can't believe I'm saying this in your podcast. Totally had a one night stand because I was so trashed. And he's feeling me up, and he goes, "I can't find your nipples, Amy." That's in my show. And I was like, "Well, I got to tell you something that happened." But then I told him, and he goes. Okay. And then you just like, you know. Continued on. Continued on. Yeah. Because men, no matter how old they get, pretty sure they're just excited to have their hand up your shirt. Exactly. (laughs) Continued on. So 
And then, you know, when I would be in relationships or meet people, they're uncomfortable if you're uncomfortable. Mm. They don't know what to do. They, you know, but if I am comfortable and tell them, because they, they don't know. They don't know if you have a sensation, where you have sensation. And I have, you know, you lose a lot of nerve endings. So I've gotten a bunch of sensation back, but there are places I have absolutely no sensation. But for me, I can still find a way to have boob, my boobs be a huge part of my sexuality. It's just different than it was before. Right. So how did you navigate that? Did you just jump out there? Was that your healing from it to just say, I'm going to date. It's going to be scary and I'm going to date and I'm just going to go through it. Yeah, I'm kind of that kind of person. That was what you did. Yeah. It wasn't much of like a therapy or a... I didn't go to therapy. Isn't that crazy? Never, it is. I, I it, didn't is go to it is a little crazy. I went to one support group. <laughs> I went to one support group that I hated. And that's in my show. It was How come? Because oh. it was so depressing. Oh, because there was this... It was horrifying. That's the first scene in my show. It's, it's, it's this one move, woman and she just keeps talking about when they rip my boobs off my butt. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it was a sub. Like the regular therapist was out. So it was a freaking free-for-all. I, it was a nightmare. Now, I should have gone back. But I did other things. Like I did like um, I went to Iyengar Yoga. I went to breast cancer uh, for cancer, you know, uh, yoga for cancer patients. I did a lot of things that were right for me. But I wasn't good at talking about it. It doesn't always help me to talk. It's not, I love, I love the theme of this show has been very much, you know, that might not be right for you, right? right? So you knew you needed the double mastectomy. You knew that you needed to go to yoga and meditate and not cry and write your show and, you know, um, do what you had to do. And it's different. You're right. You're absolutely right. And that is... That knowing what works for you is a huge part of healing and being bold about what works for you. Huge. And I think it's also that like um, where where I got my surgery, a lot of the uh, my plastic surgeon and my uh, breast surgeon have people call me. So like I'm an advocate and I talk to people before the surgery, like should they do it? Do they want to do it? What are their feelings? Whatever. And I would never tell anyone what they should do. Because it's them. And I do remember, because everybody, when someone gets cancer, it's a huge community. It might be, I don't know how huge the Lyme community is, but it's a huge community of, like, people would, like, meet me in Starbucks bathrooms. You know how many women I felt up in Starbucks bathrooms were like, let me show you my boobs. Let me see, let me see, so you can see what you're in for. Because this one woman I spoke to on the phone, she's like, well, I had a really great body before my cancer, and now I'm fat, and I don't care because cancer ruins your body. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I never want to be you Mm. and I would never talk to someone and say that to them but it's really personal and it really fucks with people you would never want to be her because she so stuck in so stuck in in, I would never because a very big part of my show this is when I see I do cry yeah now that it's over and you do talk I do like talk. I, because you are a talker. Talk therapy, maybe not, but you, you clearly talk to so many people about this, and you're so open about your experience. So there is something within the talking about it that does work for you. Yes, I think the part for me with therapy is if I could go to a therapist where they could talk back to me, that would be great. I just have a really hard time with like sharing my feelings and someone like I believe me, I've been in a lot of therapy, and they'll like nod their head at me. It's like. You need to dialogue with me a little more. Totally. The nodding doesn't help. It doesn't help. 
Nodding doesn't, Nodding help. doesn't help me. I know. I get that completely. You know, I get I've that. had years of therapy, but now I need the exchange, the back and forth. Mm-hmm. And for me, like my show is healing with people. I have women come up to me after the show crying and thanking me. And I have friends of people who had cancer coming up to me saying, thank you. I had no idea what my friend went through until I saw your show. I didn't know. Of course. Nobody knows because nobody talks, Jackie. Nobody talks. I know. I mean, that's certainly a big mission for this podcast. Talk about it. You have to talk about it. And people need to know that they're not alone. Because I think that that's something that's so hard is is feeling like you're the only one. You know, and obviously, I mean, breast cancer, it's... it's, Everywhere. It's everywhere. It's It's way too common. Too common. It's way too common. And I want women to feel that they're that they're still beautiful. And it's so much, it's, you're still, you could be just as sexy after your cancer as you were before. Mm-hmm. And I also want to, uh, one of the things I really want to start working in is I want to really talk to partners. I think it's very hard for partners. And I don't think anyone talks to the partner enough. Mm-hmm. Because I think, say... They like have my, their own loss. They have their own loss. Yeah, and grief. So I say you're in a relationship. I've had women say this to me, that, that their husband misses their boobs but you can't say to your wife I miss your boobs as she's losing her hair going through so they need a place to go and men are not for the most part I'm not generalizing but they're not great talkers so how does it affect your sex life how does it affect intimacy it's really important right but you're but you've been sexual since this whole thing has happened you've been oh and do you tell do you talk about it with your partners it's really funny you said that because it's like when do you tell people? Right. I once had someone say to me, I can't believe it. They go, you really need to put it on your Tinder profile. <laughs> I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? Really? Like, can you imagine? Yeah. Were, they, they were, were they an asshole? Like, what? I, you need I, to put it in your Tinder profile. Yeah. They were like, people need to know what they're getting. I was <gasps> like, I don't think so. Like, like really? What, what are you, you going to put in your Tinder profile? Like, can you imagine? Like, long walks on the beach. Saggy balls. Saggy balls. <laughs> Saggy balls. But it's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. But it's, it's, I tell someone when I like them and I'm going to get intimate. But here's the issue. This is a problem. Because everybody Googles everybody. You never go on a date with someone unless yeah. you Google. So sometimes I have to tell people before because they Google and nice tits is everywhere. It's everywhere. You can't Google me without seeing it. Right. So. Right. Yeah, cat's out of the bag. Right. Has it come, Has it been an issue besides that one guy who said <laughs> that stupid thing? That was a woman. Oh, that was a woman. Wow. That was a woman saying, well, maybe, you know, you should let people know. Weird. I was like, no, I don't think so. That's not their ha- business. But there haven't been issues. You have found that is you're comfortable, they're comfortable. Yes, but here's the thing. You go on dates with people, and you never know why they may not call you back. Yeah. So I, the trippy part for me in the beginning, I'm fine with it now, is if someone didn't call me back, I'd always say, well, it's because of my cancer. Oh, God. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. But it could also be, besides being about the fact about my boobs, some people are afraid to be with someone who has cancer because they're afraid they're going to die. 
They're afraid it's going to come oh, back. People are terrified of illness or, or hardship. I mean, it's yes. cooties, you know, hardship cooties. Like, don't, don't. I think they're going to catch it. Yeah. Yeah. Hardship is contagious. Don't want to get it. Yep. Don't want to be negative. Oh, yeah. That's such crap. That's such crap. It's I such hate that. Don't want to be around the negativity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to be around you. <laughs> life. Yeah. Good luck in life. You don't want to be around anything like, exactly. like that. Yeah. That's, that's so challenging. And I guess the answer is like, it doesn't matter. If it is about the cancer, then it doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. No. That took a long, long time. Don't forget, I'm nine years out. Right. So that took a really, really long, long time. So last question. You just said you're nine years out. Do you uh, worry? Do you worry? No. You don't? No. Because my personality is not to worry. Okay. So I'm not someone where every day I go, my cancer can come back, my cancer can come back. I know that it can come back. But living in New York, I also knew I could get hit by a bus or a taxi. More of a chance of that than my cancer coming back. You just don't know. Do you take precautions? Like uh, food precautions? I eat really healthy. I eat really healthy. I exercise a lot. But I don't think, I think if it's going to happen, it's going to, I hate to say if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I just don't know. Well, sure. I mean, you were really healthy when you got it in the first place. I was. But my doctor did say to me, because I was like, great. I eat healthy all these years. I exercise. She said, Amy, your cancer could have happened when you were 30 if you didn't do all that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And you could have found it at stage four. I mean, and you could, it could have, it could be metastasized. So you never know, right? You, never you know. just never so you, know. So you have to, you have to go to the doctor and I have to get my checkups and I have to. Um, Once a year or? I see my breast surgeon twice a year. Okay, great. Um, and I see my oncologist once a year. The tough thing with my kind of cancer is they're like, well, just let us know if you're not feeling right. So like last November, I wasn't feeling well. Like I was really dizzy all the time. I was lightheaded all the time. And that was the first time that I thought my cancers could be back. Because that's how my mom died. It metastasized. So when I feel off, I worry. But I don't worry every day. Mm-hmm. Great. Any last words? You want to say to anyone, um, anyone sick who who is is feeling like they're grieving a part of themselves. I think anyone who's sick is grieving a part of themselves because you, whether it's a physical part or an emotional part, you're grieving what you believe you're losing. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, trust. It's so it sounds so easy to say now because when you're in the thick of it. To say to someone trust, they're like, oh, really? But I guess I want to say we're really resilient. Human beings are deeply, deeply resilient people. And you have the strength and the power. And surround yourself with as much love as you possibly can. And love yourself. And accept. you got to accept. Yeah, those are hard words to swallow. Oh, so hard. But easier to say than to swap yeah but that's the that's the course it was for it's me too it was for me too so it all comes back to you mm-hmm. oh amy thank you this is so great tell everyone where they can find you so that i mean i will i will link to to everything but oh tell people where they can find me yeah on instagram amy marks yeah I always forget my, isn't that terrible that I always forget my Instagram? It's not, it's oh, it's not, not there. Here. We didn't, okay. But so, I, I follow you and it's, I will, I, I think will. it's at Amy, it's at Amy Marks, but it's M-A-R-C-S. 
Yes. Not with a K. And I also have um, my website, nicetitstheshow.com. And, and is ni- it is nice tits. It's not the exclamation point. The exclamation point is for my um, graphic. Okay. But not, you can't do an exclamation point for a website. Oh, sure. Yeah, so it's nice tits to show.com. And on there is every place to follow me on social media. It's places that you can email me. And the one thing I would want to say is I'm very open to people talking to me. And if you know anyone who needs to talk to me or wants to share something, feel free to contact me. Amazing. I'm sure you'll get some contact. Um, You guys, please follow Amy, follow me. I want our listeners to, in this moment, uh, send tag us on Instagram or send me um, or put it in your stories and tag us on Instagram. Something that you love about your body right in this moment. Something you just love about your body, as imperfect as it might be. Show it some love and and tell us what it is. All right, everyone. We will see you next week. Bye, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to Healing Out Loud. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Find me at Jackie on Instagram, my favorite social media platform, and follow me at JackieShay.com if you want to stay in touch. You can also write to me through JackieShay.com if you're interested in working with me as your trusted wellness companion. I'm always happy to hear from you with any questions, comments, or concerns. You can also join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shea Facebook group. Have an amazing week, you kick-ass humans. I hope you're able to implement what you learned this week, and I can't wait to share more. Bye.